TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. to our sponsor, Saris Parking. For over 25 years, Saris has been designing and manufacturing bicycle parking and infrastructure products to help cities, neighborhoods, businesses, and schools become more bike-friendly. Saris has collaborated with architects, city planners, and transportation engineers to ensure their products are some of the most durable, innovative, and intuitive infrastructure products around. And for as long as Saras has been making their products in Madison, Wisconsin, they've been standing shoulder to shoulder with many of the Bike Nerds guests and supporting efforts to make bicycling more safe, more accessible, and more fun. Why? Because Saras believes a better world includes more bikes. To stay up on what Saras is doing for bike parking and infrastructure, visit sarasparking.com slash bike nerds. And another big congratulations from the Bike Nerds to the winner of the Bike Fixation Outdoor Bike Pump, Jordan of Toledo, Ohio. Congratulations, Jordan. Again. I'd actually love to go to Toledo, Ohio. I'm not sure I've ever ever been there. I've been. I used to spend some time in Toledo. Really? What were you doing in Toledo? My mom is from Ohio, and when we lived in Michigan, we would just do stuff in Ohio. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know Suze was from Ohio. Suze is from Poland, Ohio. Um, which is near Youngstown, and she's got some connections to the steel, the steel belt gang activity that used to happen there, like mafia activity. I have no idea what you're talking about. So there was like in like Pittsburgh and I think Cleveland and Youngstown, there was like similar mafia activity that happened in like Philadelphia or New York. Uh-huh. And my grandfather at some point worked for the FBI, and then they moved to Youngstown, but like. Some of his, like, friends and cronies were, like, legit mobsters, and at least one of them ended up with, like, cement boots in the bottom of a lake. What? Yeah. Um, you know... This is all true. <laughs> Carrie, my wife, her dad and his family are from Ohio. Mm-hmm. They're from Sandusky, Ohio. And do you know what's in Sandusky? Nothing. No, Cedar Point Amusement Park. Oh, my God. I know Cedar Point with very like well. crazy roller coasters. They and, do. And uh, before Carrie and I started dating, she actually worked for a summer at Cedar Point. What did she do there? I think she tore tickets at the gate. She seems like someone that would be a friendly amusement park yeah. worker. Yeah, she actually just loves like riding those crazy roller coasters. Yeah, um, this all is coming together, right? The Disney World annual trip. Yeah, it's all fitting you know, together. There was one year, one year after we were married, before kids. That that's a significant time in our life. The, <laughs> after marriage, before kids, uh, we made a trip up there just for fun. Like we flew into like maybe Columbus, Ohio, and then we drove the rest of the way. And I remember we stayed with some of her family, her uncle and aunt and cousin. 
and another friend, another friend of hers from her work joined us and we went to the, the music park for a couple of days and she talked me into riding these crazy roller coasters and you know, they were fine. I, I'm sorry. I, one time was sort of enough for me though. There was one, there was one that like was like a race car theme and it goes like zero to a hundred miles an hour, like in four seconds. And it basically just goes straight up in the air and you go down and then you come I've been on that one. Down. I think I blacked out. It, I said some curse words. It, it might have been like the first time that I like cussed in front of Carrie. It was, it was, obs- <laughs> it was obscene. It was. You were was, already married and you would. Maybe. You guys maybe, were married and maybe, you had been dating for forever long. And that was the first time you said a swear word in front of Carrie. Maybe that's stretching the truth a little bit. But I, <laughs> I, I, the, the only thing I recall was like verbally swearing out loud just like and it was it was terrifying and that was enough for me i don't know i just i I sort of had enough after one one visit i think carrie would go every day if she if she actually could have you been to king's island that's another iconic um 364 acre amusement park in mason ohio oh you're just like googling stuff now (laughs) i've been there i mean i know my stuff uh, I didn't know the bike nerds had such a strong connection to Ohio. I love um, that we can still just di- di- discover things about yeah, each no, other. I'm, well, I'm glad that that the free bike pump went to Jordan and Toledo. Now it feels it feels like we've come full circle around uh, the state of Ohio. Congrats. I did some I did some touring through Ohio when I was back when I was playing music. I remember playing in Kent, Ohio. That sounds like a vibrant city. Uh, you know, there's a uni- Kent University is there. Oh, now I'm a big town. old jerk. Well, it's it's a pretty famous university. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but because of like tragedy, right? It'd be definitely because of tragedy. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I feel like we played at some place that had like chameleon in the name of the club. That doesn't like, surprise me. Like club bit. chameleon or chameleon club or something. Uh, I remember it being just a strange, a strange um, evening. So. But good. I mean, it's pos- it's a positive experience in my mind. Just straight. Drew Carey graduated from Kent University. <laughs> oh, you are on fire with Google right now. <laughs> I am using the internet. My goodness. Um, how is... Arsenio Hall. Okay, go on. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the great state of Ohio and all the residents <laughs> that are living there uh, for this podcast. How is how, how are things going in Memphis? Memphis is just beautiful. It's like 76 degrees today. Mm-hmm. And I like had the privilege of wanting to get to work like crazy early this morning. So like I biked in around like, I don't know, six or six thirty, So it was still dark Ooh. and that was kind of fun. And I actually had a friend join me. Whoa. A coworker or just like another, like a, like a man friend, like a romantic partner friend. Um, but I was like, you have like immense amount of brownie points because you're willing to bike. Ju- I mean, he doesn't work downtown just to bike downtown at like six thirty in the morning. Oof, that's a massive amount of brownie points. Yeah, I would agree. Wow. So that was fun. And the, so the weather was nice at like six thirty oh, in the morning. It was like, ideal. It was just so nice. Now, is the Big River Crossing open that early? The Big River Big River Crossing opens at 6 a.m. Wow, so you could have, like, gone for a little ride over the river. I guess. I could have. Maybe Poncho's opens at that time as well, and I could have started my day with some cheese dip. I don't think Poncho's is open at 6.30 in the morning. 
Um, so yeah, things are good. I've been really following all of the buzz about all like the VC investment in these um, bike share companies, especially in China. Have you been following this? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because um, you know the last two or three weeks or so. You know, there's been a lot of articles about this new, you know, it's not even new, right? But it's sort of a different kind of bike share system that doesn't require sort of a, you know, traditional docking system like you would find in New York or Washington, D.C. And it was funny that there was suddenly sort of like a big, you know, blast of news stories about those kinds of systems. Why do you think there's been... Such, I mean, is it? I think it's because all of this investment is just happening so fast. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I think it's triggered a lot by you know what you were just sort of talking about. There's a bunch of foreign investment right now in a lot of startups around bike share. You know, it's if you think about bike share not as sort of a mobility tool, and you think about bike share as like a technology startup company. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it makes perfect sense. In terms oh, I of, agree, and it's like the way VCs is like if you have a VC works. And they're successful because they invest in 30 ideas and almost throw spaghetti on a wall and one will bubble up. And so I think it's kind of maybe to my point in our last conversation about this like private investment piece that it's this kind of like lack of thought about that some people do consider bike share a big part of the future of transportation and shared mobility. And now you have all these heavy, heavy investors coming in and just being like, we can do whatever we want because we have billions of dollars. And I'm not saying – I'm not stating an opinion at this time, but it's interesting to watch. Yeah, it, it raises sort of bigger questions, right, about the privatization of mobility tools in our communities. Mm-hmm. That, you know, conversation that's been happening, you know, for the last hundred years around public transportation, you know, for instance. You know, that that public transportation has moved from private entities to public entities to private back and forth. There's a lot of pros and cons on sort of both sides of that. And it's, you know, even after 100 years, it's still not really sort of a settled debate about how to go about doing that. And bike share, you know, is sort of, you know, in its infancy to some to some degree. And so I think it's going to be interesting to sort of see how it plays out and what the ultimate impact is sort of on bike share in general. You know, whether or not, yeah. this, whether or not this influx of cash and new interest is, is helpful to the technology or if it's harmful in terms of providing service to people. Because, you know, if you think about sort of privatization, it's not always uh, the mechanism that provides access to people who don't traditionally have access, you know, to those kinds of resources. And so... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Also interesting to know, to try to figure out, you know, in our political climate, whether or not, uh, you know bike industry as a whole is sort of watching what's going to be happening with trade deals. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of the investors for bike share, I, I I take it are coming from Asia. And so that's where most of the bikes are manufactured as well. And so, you know, these kinds of trade deals that are happening at the federal level and whether or not we're going to be taxing imports from Asia or not, or from other countries has a big, has a big impact on ultimately, you know, bike share systems and, and even in the bikes in the, bike components that you have in any of our bike shops around the country. So there's, there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of things in motion at the moment. There and is. Yeah. I know NABSA, the North American bike share association is working on a policy brief in response. And, you know, I, a few months ago talking to the city kind of was pitching 
this idea that I felt that we should put some sort of policy in place, knowing that we'll launch a wild nonprofit and private bike share system, but we wanted to make sure that we protected kind of the equity piece and that there's one kind of contiguous system here in Memphis. And then someone called me last week and said that they had reached out from one of these new companies that have popped up about, you know, doing bike share in Memphis. And I was like, no, it's already happening. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think I think it's <laughs> like, interesting, right? I mean, pump I'm the, the brakes, everyone. Like, there's yeah. a plan and <laughs> money raised. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's some places are experiencing that pressure right now, right? Yeah. Where you've got existing bike share systems, and then you've got second and some places third different systems, you know, layered on top of that. Um, I think LA is has that. I don't know if they see it as a challenge or what, but. They have bicycle and social bicycle systems in towns right next to each other. Yeah, but those are kind of bordering. I'm thinking of like like in San Francisco yeah, or somewhere up in the in the in the Bay Area, you might have two or three systems occupying the same geography, right? Where you have like the docking system and then the dockless systems sort of all overlapping, mm-hmm. and nobody, you know, the cities, you know, the city is supporting a particular system and. These private investors are just putting bikes out on the street for these other things. And so, yeah, it just raises some questions about, you know, whether or not cities can support that level of integration. Um, does it turn into a thing like where you know, also in the Bay Area, you know, like some of those big companies out there like Google and Facebook <laughs> are now running their own private public transportation service, their shuttle, yeah. shuttles for their employees. And th- it raises questions about you know, who has access to those kinds of resources. It's pulling revenues away from the public transportation system, but they're using public assets like the roads and the streetlights and the infrastructure to move people around. And yeah, it's, it's it's a, it's a complicated debate. And uh, one, I think that will be growing particularly, you know, again, in light of sort of what's happening nationally around this discussion of public and private investments in, in infrastructure. I think it's, I think it's a debate that's good. That's, Bike share is sort of on the the forefront of it at the moment, but I think it's going to be growing uh, in in our d- collective consciousness and conversation for years to come. Yeah, feels like my theme that I um, proposed last week feels even more relevant. <laughs> Thanks. Just saying. Thanks. I mean, I know you brought it up just to like re-justify it, but I actually didn't. It's been something I've like been reading <laughs> about all day. It just happens to, to connect a rare opportunity for me to make a connection between my own thoughts. Trust me. So we, this week have, who do we have this week, Kyle? Eric Rogers, the executive director of bike walk, Kansas city. Shall we do this thing? Let's hit it. Have you met Kyle in person? I, yes, I have once or twice. I felt like I did. I was at Pro Walk Pro Bike at one of your sessions, but I don't know if we actually talked about it or not. Oh, let's see. Did Kyle sound smart? He did. Yeah. The, uh, it was all about the Memphis sidewalk plan that we're oh, soak up, yeah. soaking up everything we can. <laughs> oh man. That was like two years of my life. Was it? Yeah, that was heavy stuff, man. You know, we, um, you know, this week we just were talking to Bridget McCall, who runs Bike Walk Memphis, and we were sort of talking on the podcast about, you know, splitting time between biking advocacy and walking advocacy, and sort of talking a little bit about the 
the nuanced differences between, you know, sort of two different modes of transportation that ultimately have very similar goals, but the ways you go about reaching those goals can be pretty drastically different day to day. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, we found a lot of it is it's, it's even in the constituencies. I know a lot of us that try to do both, we get a, uh, you know, from time to time, people kind of question, what are we doing for pedestrians? Looks like everything you're doing is bike, bike, bike. And that's generally because folks don't do a lot of walking events other you know, than the charity walks. And so a lot of the public-facing stuff in terms of events and programs is, is bike-related. And the pedestrian piece really comes more on the back end. Yeah, do you, do you think that's because people don't self-identify as like pedestrian advocates? Yeah, I think that is the case. I think there are very few people that identify as pedestrian advocates. And and most folks think, oh, it would be great if that sidewalk was better or if there was a sidewalk there. But I think they approach those conversations more from, I'm a resident of this neighborhood and this would be good for the neighborhood, not this would be good for me as a pedestrian. Are there moments that you find that is there like a common instance that people had that like had then become interested in pedestrian advocacy or really kind of identifying themselves as a pedestrian? I think it's like anything in this, it's, it's pretty personal when, when someone has an individual experience with, you know, a kid who can't get across the street to walk to school or somebody who's got an obstacle in the sidewalk between their house and their bus stop, uh, fixing that one problem and, and figuring out how they can get help doing that. Um, I think without the, the identification and, and the kind of interest grouping that it often doesn't go beyond that. I mean, maybe they get their one problem fixed and then they're good in the same way, you know, in, in my neighborhood, if there's a problem with the vacant building, I get it fixed and it's great. And I might do a lot of work to get it fixed, but I don't then go on to be a, advocate for reusing vacant that in some way sparks some interest in myself and, and then that does become a passion. So I, I think for biking, it's more of, it's more likely to become a passion for somebody than, than it is as a pedestrian. And so then that might be what then leads them on to take that next step and not just fix the problem they found, but then go on and be an advocate for, for the larger cause and for other people. Would you share the origin story of Bike Walk Kansas City? I feel like BBC Radio was involved, or somehow you <laughs> leveraged it. I think it's fascinating, and I want to know more. Okay. Are, are we recording <laughs> now, or are we, or are we just... Uh... Oh, we're recording. Okay. Cool. We, Kyle and I, like, just, like, we just start. We actually don't okay. let people know that we're recording, and that should probably Great. be something we, we do, because people ask a lot. <laughs> yeah. So you're so, on record. Great. <laughs> I just assume I'm always on record these days. Very uh, smart, smart. So our origin story um, started in in a way with the BBC. One of those rankings came out. I don't even remember now if it was Bicycling Magazine or maybe it was the census, but something like the top 50 cities in the country for biking and Kansas City was 50 out of 50 or whatever the last position was. And for some reason, somehow, that particular instance of those rankings um, p- 
piqued the interest of somebody at BBC Radio in the UK. And so they ultimately ended up coming to Kansas City, and I think they spent a couple days here, which got us a little bit of notoriety. But ultimately, uh, <laughs> there's always a, room for improvement if you're right. first, right? You can only go one way, theoretically. As as embarrassing as it was, it, it was uh, an opportunity, and and as advocates, you know, we find those lemons to turn them into lemonade. And so the kind of the immediate reaction was the mayor and the council at that time uh, seized on the league's bike friendly community program, and that kind of got things going. It piqued people's interest again. Uh, there was a, an old bike plan from about 2001 that had had not gone anywhere. And um, kind of through that reaction to the notoriety of the BBC documentary, a uh, few things happened. The city did set the platinum goal, as ridiculous as, as that actually is, uh, for somebody to do in that short amount of time. They established the bike pet advisory committee to monitor that whole process. And then as advocates from the outside, we then started using that as our initiative to start the organization. At that point in time, we think Kansas City was the largest uh, region or metro area in the U.S. that didn't have a local professional bike or pedestrian advocacy organization. And I had been on the board of the statewide organization in Missouri for a few years, and and that group had um, started to do some programming in Kansas City, had a couple of grants, and had a couple of staff. Ultimately made the decision that it made sense to spin off that work that was in Kansas City from the Missouri statewide group, uh, create a local organization with a local identity that would also allow us to be by state uh, working in Missouri and Kansas. And so from there, uh, we incorporated in 2010. Uh, we publicly launched in 2011, uh, around bike month of that year. Uh, the things that really got us going were um, first uh, partnership between the League of American Bicyclists and the Alliance for Biking and Walking. That um, was, I believe, it was funded by folks like SRAM and some of the other groups in the bike industry. So that really enables to get up, get going, start the organization, and get the whole ball rolling. So, the, I mean, the, the city was pretty ambitious with setting that really high goal of reaching platinum. What I mean, what was the motivation behind setting the goal so high versus sort of what you describe, you know, more realistic expectations? To be honest, I think it was just a case of the mayor at the time not really knowing the depth of the commitment he was getting into and just said, Oh, platinum's the top. Let's go for that. Um, situation where, um, that mayor ultimately was not reelected. So, um, for a variety of reasons, but most of us who knew anything about what was going on knew that platinum wasn't realistic. And I guess that would have been about 12 years at that point. Um, we did get bronze a couple of years after that, hmm. um, fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and we've stayed at bronze since then. And um, city's in the process of rewriting the bike plan, and um, I think rather than pick a particular level, we're kind of have a more pragmatic goal of just continually um, striving for a higher. Has BBC been back? No, they have not. 
Um, hmm. That's a great question, Sarah. I would love to have them back, uh, maybe in another couple years when we get a few more big projects that are in the pipeline, uh, get them on the ground and have a little bit more to show off this time. How has y'all's mission and vision changed from founding the organization to now in 2017? It's been pretty constant uh, for the last seven years. A lot of the groups around the country that were doing really good work uh, to, to kind of model our, our vision and our, our plan off of. So looking at groups like Bike Pittsburgh, Waba in DC, uh, Trailnet closer to home in St. Louis, and put together just kind of a really big list of all of the different types of programs and campaigns and things we might want to do. I would say our, our vision has been pretty consistent so far. Um, what is changing is just the the ability to realize parts of, of that vision and, and make progress. Um, probably the takeaway for me about that over the years is we've just um, done a lot of that pretty quickly. We've grown and scaled up. Eric, I know you're working right now um, on a big infrastructure bond. Is that right? A big, a big package that's coming up. Yeah. Is that, is that, is that consuming a lot of your time lately? It is. Yeah. The election is exactly a week from today when we're recording this. Yeah. So our, our city's doing a big infrastructure package. It's about $800 million. Um, the big chunk is about four, $450 million, uh, for streets. So that will be reconstruction of streets with a complete streets approach. Mm-hmm. And then they're setting aside about $150 million just for neighborhood sidewalks. Wow. So it's that's taken up a lot of our time over the past year or so. Um, By comparison to... The work that you've been doing, you know, for the last couple of years, what what does that what does that mean? What does the bond package mean, just in terms of how much you've been able to get the city to to move on in the last you know decade or so versus what this might what this might provide for? This would be quite transformational for Kansas City. Uh, so we have about a billion, one point two billion dollar sidewalk backlog. So that would be to repair broken sidewalks and add sidewalks in neighborhoods that don't have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is really no funding for this and never has been. Funding is on the homeowner or the property owner. And that creates a situation for us where we're a very diverse city with a lot of lower income neighborhoods. And so it's really common to have a situation where somebody as a sidewalk issue, either they report it or somebody else reports it. And ultimately the city um, comes to the homeowner and says, you have to fix your sidewalk. And if you can't fix it, we will fix it for you and bill you. And so you may have somebody in a lower income neighborhood or on a fixed income who or assessment a city for a sidewalk on a house that may be worth 40 or $50,000. so the, the math of that just does not work at all. Um, the, why this would be really transformational is in addition to funding the sidewalk repair, it would also make a really important public policy change 
where the city would assume the cost of maintaining the sidewalks. For us as an organization, it, it's been a really important milestone to get to this point. Uh, we spent about a year working with a really diverse group of stakeholders on the sidewalk issue before the bond even came on the scene. Um, just identifying the problem, quantifying the need, and then um, looking at possible solutions and strategies to solve the problem. And so then about a year with the stakeholder group working on the issue. And then towards the end of that process is when the city started talking about doing the infrastructure package. And the timing was worked out really well because we had not only quantified the need to do something with sidewalks, we'd also done most of the research and um, policy work to provide the solution. You told Sarah and I that bicycling is no longer something that you're fighting for, right? That bicycling has been wrapped up into, you know, broader outreach initiatives. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, that would be the goal. I don't know where we're not quite there yet, but we are making some progress for sure. Um, most uh, city staff in most cities around the region, uh, as well as a lot of electeds where, like you said, we're really no, not always making the case. We're not always persuading. We're more at the point of agreement on the need for this and the importance for it. And so the conversation is starting to turn towards one of working together to find solutions and strategies. So it's, it's a little bit less um, standing up at City Hall, shaking our fists, and talking about solutions that we could all participate in. Eric, I'm also really interested in your connection and operation of B-Cycle, the bike share system in Kansas City. How did that kind of begin? I think it's really awesome that you're the only advocate-owned bike sharing system in the country. Uh, it's not entirely accurate anymore. There is, um, I think there are currently three of us. I would argue that Memphis is about to launch a bike share system that's run by a nonprofit. So I'd argue maybe there's four, but I'll I'll give it to you for now. Okay. Uh, (laughs) The other one being Hawaii. Although uh, I know Omaha is in the process of separating bike share from the advocacy group to be its own organization. Um, It was a lot of, uh, a lot of luck that came together, to be honest. Uh, so it happened shortly after we started the organization before we had really even gotten all of the advocacy and other and education and other pieces in place. So the story with bike share was uh, a pedicab company started looking at it. This was about 2011, 2012, uh, quickly realized it was bigger than they could do. And that at that time, even then the model was more nonprofit operation of bike share. So they came to us um, Although we had a lot of support and help from the city, uh, it was not going to be a mayor's pet project or something like it has been in a lot of other bike share cases. So we uh, also discovered we had a connection from between our board of directors and some folks at the Blue Cross affiliate in Kansas City. And so we went to them and pitched it. And they um, funded us with a little bit of seed money to do the research and business planning and due diligence and then ultimately came on as the title sponsor for the first three years. And it was a case where bike share wasn't going to happen anytime soon in Kansas City unless we did it. And we had an opportunity that presented itself. So uh, we took it and ran with it. And 
that's where we are now. We started with uh, 12 stations in 2012, and we're up to 40 stations and adding about 10 or 15 more this year. How is having a bike share system so closely tied with the advocacy organization? Is it a bigger or larger asset than you thought it would be, or is it kind of its own thing in a, in a silo? How does it kind of really work with Bike Walk Kansas City? So we started out originally anticipating that it would be pretty separate. We organized it as its own corporation, so it's a subsidiary of the larger organization Um it has its own C3 and all that business. But what we realized in the end was it really is operating as another program of the organization. So right in parallel with all of our other programs. Um, we still really like having Bike Share as an advocacy tool that is under our control so that we can really use it strategically for advocacy. Um, really found out a lot of the research out there that is true uh, research showing bike share usage is correlated with the presence of facilities. So bike lanes, cycle tracks, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and our usage is still very much on the low end. And so we're still able to um, really use bike share strategically from an advocacy perspective. We're also able to integrate it more with our program offerings. So we've, We've always approached the organization uh, with a lot of social entrepreneurship sorts of strategies and and ideas. And so bike share is something kind of a part of the suite of things we can go to with, uh, say, for example, a business offering bike to work um, classes and clinics, uh, bike friendly business application support. Um, We're a, a nonprofit dealer partner with Darrow. Um, so we're able to help with bike parking, um, and then bike share as as the really big leg of that stool with the, all the other ones. Um, so we can talk about bike share in the context of all the other things that we've got going on. Uh, so Sarah, back to your question: Has it been, I guess, better or worse? It's really been helpful to have it as part of the organization, um, but some of the challenges are. It's big, it's capital intensive. So from a financial perspective, you're carrying a a lot of crazy stuff on your balance sheet that confuses um, funders and donors. Um, Fundraising from a charitable perspective for bike share, I know is challenging in a lot of places. So it really is, there's good and bad on all sides. And I know there are a lot of folks out there that we've talked to who've thought about doing it this way. Um, try to just always offer our perspective on both sides, um, the pros and cons. Eric, can you give me a little sense of Kansas City? Kansas City, we are right in the middle. Um, we're pretty much a perfect microcosm of the country in terms of demographics and all those sorts of things. It's a you know typical Midwestern city. Um, we've got a pretty dense core and surrounded by some original streetcar suburbs. Got a metro of about 2 million. Um, Generally on a grid system, which allows us to be a little bit more flexible planning bike routes and things. Um, We're mostly not in Kansas, and so we're not 
that flat. Uh, folks are surprised just how hilly it is here in Kansas City. Uh, it's not quite the the windswept plains that folks might imagine. You know, typical Midwestern car centric uh, type of place, but where you've got a lot of um, urban redevelopment happening, a lot of um, a lot of movement back to the central city. We have a about a year old uh, streetcar starter line that has been driving a lot of investment and development um, that connects with a couple of BRT lines. What would you say the, 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 the biggest challenges Kansas city is facing today and you know, how does the work of bike walk KC work in that realm? I think our challenge has traditionally been self-confidence. Um, I think like a lot of cities in the Midwest or, mid-sized cities, there's a bit of an inferiority complex. Um, in the last maybe two or three years, a lot of that has turned around. Um, there's there's a lot of movement happening with local pride and kind of em- embracing our local situation. And I think where Bike Walk KC and just biking and walking and mobility in general fit in is um, – we are really starting to notice that the city leaders, the business community, the chamber, the health community, um, they see what's happening around the country. They know that biking and walking are important for health, for environment, for economy. There's a college or university in Kansas City as well. Is that correct? Yeah, there is. There's uh, The University of Missouri has a campus in Kansas City. Uh, we have a couple of other smaller ones, but we're not really thought of as a college city. Okay. Um, so we're not a college city in the way that, you know, a place like uh, Chicago or Pittsburgh or St. Louis would be. Got it. I think I had my Missouri cities messed up. I realize they're all unique. <laughs> How is Bike Walk KC working to kind of connect? with neighborhood and businesses and other kind of non-bike community organizations to kind of help work together towards making uh, Kansas City a better place? We know, and, and now our experience shows, that we're much more effective when it's not just the bike people, neighborhood leaders asking for something because it's important to their neighborhood or, um, the, you know, the some of the city council debate around sidewalks in the ball was pretty contentious but in a lot of those debates um we in the bike advocacy world were not the ones testifying for city council in favor of sidewalks uh it was neighborhood leaders community development organizations uh disability community a really good example of, of how that works for us is in our adult education program, we partner with um, a social service agency that's primarily homeless services. And so we're teaching folks bike safety, bike skills, also maintenance, mechanic stuff. At the end, they get a bike that they get to keep that they, a lot of these guys are now using for transportation to access jobs or educational opportunities. Um that agency really was a big part of um, advocating for sidewalks and testifying and bringing their clients to testify at city council of why it was important. And so it, it wasn't our face or our voices. I think that when you're 
talking about issues like that, either equity in general or specifically neighborhood engagement, um, it's an asset for those of us that are bike and walk organizations because you know you, you want to start in the place where the community is at, not where you want them to go or where you feel like they need to go. And so um, in a lot of cases, that's not bike lanes, it's not trails, it's just simply fixing a broken sidewalk or getting a crosswalk between the neighborhood and the grocery store. And so we can talk about a lot of different things with any neighborhood or community, not just biking. Um, that, I think, helps us engage a little bit more um, deeply with, with some communities because we can really just figure out what is it that this community needs and wants and do we have something to offer to help them? And if we do, then what is it and how can we do that? Eric, what do you think the future looks like for Bike Walk KC? I mean, let's let's say you guys are really successful next week. You know, by the time this podcast comes out, where you're celebrating the passage of this bond, you know, does how do, how does that influence your work going forward, or, or does it? And you know, what sort of got you excited for the the next ten years? I'm really excited to grow a lot of the more organizational parts of our work. Being a few years into this now, we have some folks who started out with us as volunteers in the very beginning and, and now are working for us as senior leaders of the organization. So it's been really cool to watch those people grow over time and take on leadership roles with the in the organization, but also within the movement more broadly. Um, so I'm really excited to see where we can go as an organization uh, Growing our education, there's still a vast amount of opportunity and space to grow into. I'm really excited to see uh, how we can continue to scale up and and work in more places and do more meaningful work and do it sustainably and effectively. Um, and I think, but unfortunately, a lot of that happens in the context of what's going on in the environment around us. Um, Following the, the federal budget and federal funding really closely, we're, our budget's about 20% federal funding for things like bike share and safe routes to school, so seeing where that happens. Um, really kind of anxious and confused and curious where the national movement's going and all of the organizations that play a part in that and what's going to happen there and what does it mean for us at the local level. Yeah, so really... Really excited about the future, really excited to see how we can grow and where we can go. And um, I think like a lot of us these days, really thinking locally while we don't know yet what's going to happen nationally. Yeah, that's, that seems to be a moving target these days. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody and for every, not just our sector, but yeah. you know, for all of us. It's for everyone, maybe even the in, world. It's a moving yeah, target. Yeah. Yeah, I had a phone call this morning with somebody in D.C., and I was like, hey, what's the latest uh, crazy thing that's happening in D.C. today, right? And it just, you can ask that question every single day, um, it feels like, and get a different Multiple answer. things, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> I would just say, yeah, the National Bike Summit was really interesting this year for a lot of those reasons. You have a pretty extensive podcast knowledge. And when you said 
one of our questions for our listeners is if you had your own podcast, what would it be about? And yours was a 12 step program for podcast addicts. And I just want to make sure that we're not like part of an intervention or we have like a trigger for you. Like, are you okay? <laughs> a high functioning podcast addict. Um, uh, so have you, do you have your own podcast? No, I do not. I'm a, I'm a consumer, not a producer. I actually recently read an article that I'm sure you've read, um, and I forget where it was, is that, like, there is this sort of, like, podcast listening as the new, like, Pandora, or the new meditation, almost, that it's <laughs> this, like, new way to, like, gather all of this information and either actively listen or passively listen, um, and so and this is, like, I think the second time this week that I saw the term, like, podcast attic, <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, there's, this is a real live thing. Sounds uh, exactly like my experience. <laughs> well, I bet they haven't done a podcast about it, so you could really get ahead of them and do your 12-step program. <laughs> the time is now. <laughs> oh, no, I can't start anything new. I'm just executing what I've already got going on. But I, I would certainly listen to that if somebody created it. I would add it to my vacation. I have two very serious questions. Uh, one is... Do you have to be named Eric to work at Bike Walk KC? Does it help? <laughs> it it might help. So yeah. I'm just I'm just looking at the, named Eric. I'm just looking uh, at the roster here, right? And it's <laughs> Oh my god, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's a bunch of Eric's. Of our I guess 10 full-time staff now, three of us are Eric's. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a healthy yeah. amount of Eric's I think in an organization. <laughs> And there's been more than one um, instance where we were hiring somebody and there were Eric's in the pool for a, a job. So wow. it, it could have been four or five, but right now we're at three. <laughs> uh, and my last question that I have for you, and this is, this is pretty serious. You know, I'm, I'm originally from Memphis. Sarah's in Memphis today. Um, I don't want to ask you about the great, you know, who has the best barbecue, Kansas City or Memphis? What I want to know is, as a vegetarian, who has the best vegetarian barbecue? Having not visited Memphis yet, I yeah. have to say Kansas City. T- there tell, are. Tell me about the vegetarian barbecue offerings in Kansas City. I don't know what they are, but <laughs> I do know that my vegetarian friends are able to find barbecue in Kansas City. I mean, if you like want to choose to eat regular old barbecue that's made from actual juicy animals, why even try vegetarian <laughs> barbecue? Is my opinion. <laughs> but I respect Kyle's perspective. Thank you, Sarah. I I think I think we might just have to make a trip to Kansas City, Sarah, and do a sampling of vegetarian barbecue. I'm in. I mean, I'm sure people say this all the time, but Missouri is literally one of my favorite states in the continental U.S. Um, I have a lot of really good friends there. So I used to go to Columbia a lot in the Ozarks and some of my favorite memories are in Missouri. And I think Missouri has this great combination of like what I love about the South and also what I really love about the Midwest. And yeah, I'm Missouri. Here I come. You don't need to convince me. Great. We'd love to have you. Yeah. We're (laughs) in the middle. So we got a little bit of everything. I will. Gladly put together a vegetarian barbecue tour for you yes. guys. Yes. All right, yeah. done. We're going to be awesome. there. We're going to be there. 
Uh, Eric, thanks for taking time this afternoon to yeah, talk to us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Super, super great to catch up with you, hear about the great things happening there in Kansas City. <laughs> um, you know, keep on, keep on the good fight. We're going to, we're going to watch next week and see how the, how the bond vote goes. Um, great. If, if Thank we, you. If we were there, uh, though, we, we would vote, we'd vote yes with you. Yes. Absolutely. This is Kansas City. We vote early and often. So <laughs> please wish us luck. And uh, thank you guys for having me on. Thank you guys for doing this podcast. I think it's just a great service to have for the movement and such a great opportunity for us to be able to learn from each other. So thank you for doing this. The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of the Bike Nerds, Sarah and Kyle, and the OEM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoemnetwork.com slash thebikenerds. Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at thebikenerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com.